Well, let's continue to read now in, really, we're, we're looking in this passage. It's a, an explosion point for the gospel to, uh, to go out over the whole earth. And, you know, God's put our, he's been speaking to us about the nations even this morning and his heart for the nations. And we, we see really where that, where that just began to, the gospel began to go out into all the earth. And that's really where we're going to end up uh, this morning. But I'm going to read this passage, quite a long passage, but I, I hope you'll enjoy it. And I hope you kind of, kind of visualize and imagine what is going on here in this, um, in this account. So we're in Acts chapter 10, and I shall read uh, most, if not all, of it. So you might follow along in your, in your Bibles or on your, on your phones or however you, however you want to do it. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, which is about 3 p.m., I think they, they thought 6, 6 a.m. was when the day started for them. Um, not for me, but that's uh, how they did it in those days. Anyway, um, I, yeah, I won't tell you what I think this hour of the day is right now. But anyway, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God uh, come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, he, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms, that's your giving, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with uh, one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the, the rooftop on his house, and it was about the sixth hour of the day, which if you do the calculations, about noon, it's about lunchtime. So he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said to him, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common or impure. This happened three times, this whole thing, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! 
I'm a man, and uh, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms, uh, your giving, has been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it's the last paragraph here. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So, so I hope you got the, kind of the, the picture. I hope you kind of followed through um, and did my best to kind of relay it to you. But you can, you can imagine the, the story, what is playing out here in the, kind of the first century. It's a hugely important account. It's, it's a long account, though, and so our focus, just to help us, I think will be on verse 15, where this, this voice says to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common or impure or unclean. And we're going to look just at three things to help, help find our way here this morning. The importance of this statement, the background to this statement, and the meaning of this statement. So let's get straight on to it. Let's look at the importance of this statement. Just very quickly, it's kind of uh, obvious in some ways. It's such a long account that, that the Holy Spirit, that God saw fit, that Luke, who wrote this, saw fit, not just to give one whole chapter on this, but actually, there's another chapter, kind of chapter 11. That one commentator wrote this. He says, The importance that Luke ascribed to the story of Peter and Cornelius can be measured by the space given to it. 
The story is told in detail in chapter 10. We've just read that. Retold in chapter 11 and then touched upon again in chapter 15. The, the reason I read the whole thing out, because this is really important. We, we need to give space to this because something of huge significance is happening here. The other clue that tells me this is massively important is the, the kind of the presence of angels. I don't know about you, but they, they get quite rare in some ways. But as we see kind of key events in the Bible, there's an angelic presence Angels are messengers. God sends messengers to proclaim something. You think about the birth of Jesus. There was, there was angels that appeared to declare that to the shepherds. I think, I think it was a, an angelic messenger that came to Joseph as well. And indeed, in the resurrection, again, there was the, the presence, there was an angelic presence. Something important is happening and, and, being, and being declared. So we need to kind of think, hey, this is, this is important. Let's kind of give this our attention. But then going to our verse... It's when something is, is I mean, I'm, I say it's important given, because it's given a lot of space, but if something's given a word, I mean, that's, that's important. And yet if something, this is actually repeated three times, our, our verse, verse 15, or it seems to me, if I understand the account right, this thing happened three times. This sheet came down, this, this voice, arise, kill, and eat. Peter, oh, no, no, I, I couldn't possibly. And then God kind of bringing this, uh, through, through this voice, this exhortation, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And he says it again and again. So that's three times. So again, I'm thinking this is important. I want to focus on this. I want to think about this. I want to get the, the significance of this for, for me and for us this morning. And finally, I think there's some significance here. It underlines the importance of this because Peter's so resistant to it. But that tells me there might be something here in my heart too that I'm going to push back on this a little bit. There might be, might be something in this message that you're tempted to push back on. And God's so gracious. He doesn't say, oh, well, just forget it. He, he says it again and again and again because he wants us to understand. He wants us to receive what he's saying to us. So it's good that we spend time on this this morning. So that's the first thing. Now let's move on to the background uh, for this statement, what God has made clean, do not call uh, impure. Now, probably many will, will know the background, but it probably bears repeating. Maybe some don't understand some of the background here and some of the language and the words and the, the pictures that are being used. Really, uh, talking about, well, a lot of laws in some way, but food laws, we think about uh, going to Leviticus 11. There's uh, God describes a difference between the different sorts of animals that his people are permitted to eat. I'll just, I mean, I, I, I'll just give you a flavor, if you'll pardon the pun. I'll read kind of a few verses from uh, um, Leviticus 11. This is what God has written in his law to his people, uh, to, to Israel. Whatever parts, of, whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not. And and there's, there's loads of this that you can read. Let me just skip forward into Leviticus 15. Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. 
It's the, I mean, there's loads of detail here we could get into. Maybe that's some of that kind of washed over your head. But the point is, God is saying, make a difference. Make a distinction. There are some things that are clean and some things that are, are not clean. And actually, th- this would have a huge impact in their religious and social life. They, were, they, they, they took this very seriously because there would be a certain degree of exclusion that would come to them if they ate the wrong thing or if they touched the wrong thing. or um, that It would have implications for them. They needed, therefore, to keep separate from the unclean. Now, that's what God has said. And in practice, though, this, as they lived it out, it's not exactly how God had, had said for them to live it out, but in practice, it began to be a barrier to, from God's people to, to other people. Because he hadn't said keep separate from them, but he, in terms of the food, there needs to be a separation. And so it became hard to go into a non-Jew's house, for example, and eat with them. Because, and have kind of table fellowship. Uh, because you don't know, is the food clean or unclean? And it's really important that we make a distinction between clean and unclean. That's why Peter was strongly criticized. If we kind of turn over into Acts 11, as he relays this account, there is the circumcision party. There's certain people that said, you did what? You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them? How could you do that? You're risking being unclean. You don't know what kind of the, the, the state of the, of the food is in terms of its preparation was or what you were eating. So there were, there were things that God has said, and then there were kind of practical ways that God's people began to live that out, that began to put a barrier between them and other people. And then really, though, kind of the heart being what it is, this began to get even more out of hand. And they began to think of the Gentiles themselves, of non-Jews, of other people, of people different to them, of them being unclean in a way that they weren't. They began to think of themselves as the pure ones and other people as the unclean ones. It's what one commentator writes. He says, the attitude of post-biblical Judaism towards non-Jews was, for the most part, harsh in the extreme. To the Jews, Gentiles were godless, rejected by God, and given over to every form of uncleanness. And to have dealings with them was to contract their uh, uncleanness. You see, they were just backing off more and more. And this was not God's intention. This is not what he was doing. We'll look in a moment about what he was doing through these laws. God's heart was always for the nations. It was always that his people would, would bring blessing to the nations. That would, um, that would, be, a, it would be a light uh, to the nations. And as we kind of scrolling back a little bit, it just, I'm, I'm, I don't understand this kind of the food thing, but... Maybe we can relate it a little bit to what we've been going through recently with the whole kind of social distancing side of things. And because I, I don't understand Peter's reticence. It doesn't kind of resonate with me. But I don't know about you, but I found as we went into COVID that I was becoming more and more aware of surfaces, more and more aware of the air around me and kind of viruses lurking. And as we began to put masks on, I began to be more and more aware that I should rightly keep a distance even from other people or from other situations. Or um, uh, even, <laughs> I remember going to get a trolley at the supermarket and thinking, ah, do I, do I, how, do I, how do I do this? Do I kind of put my hands on this trolley? How does it work? Suddenly, from being not even thinking about these things, over a period of a few months, I'm becoming hyper aware of them. And then, of course, as restrictions are lifted, I mean, you, you may not be, um, be like me. In fact, I wasn't massively bothered about it because we got it quite early on, so we didn't feel too vulnerable in the sense that others were. But even, even for, for me, there was this sense as restrictions got lifted and I find myself in crowded rooms and talking to people a little bit more closely and we're, and we're without masks. 
there's something in me that's still remembering those few months of separation and still feeling it, and it still feels hard to do it. That's, that's just a few months of, of wearing masks. Can you imagine what it's like to, if you're brought up from birth with these kind of laws, these kind of distinctions, making a distinction between the clean and the unclean, never having eaten uh, one, one sort of animal. And there were lots of other laws as well pertaining to kind of every aspect of life. And you, you try to keep them faithfully. You've not done any of those things, and you realize the huge consequences of failing to do so. And you've done that your whole life. And suddenly God has said, now you can eat. Now, now restrictions are lifted. Now there's no social distancing. Now it's fine to eat those things. You can begin to imagine something of what Peter was feeling. No, no, no. That's why he needed persuading. He needed this clarifying three times for him. So I can begin to understand a little bit of, uh, sometimes we can be a little bit hard on Peter, but I think I kind of feel a little bit of what he was feeling here. Surely not, surely not. This, is, this doesn't feel right. But God suddenly lifts it. He says, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And so the question for us becomes, what's changed? And probably for him, what's changed? What is the difference now? How come now it's okay, but before it wasn't? So we're going on now to talk about the meaning of this phrase. Let's consider the meaning. See, the, the food laws and the purity laws were primarily a teaching aid for something else. They weren't the reality itself. Much of what we find in the Old Testament, God is writing in, in lives large. They're shadows of a reality that was to, that was to come. They're all pointing towards, towards Jesus, actually, and what he would do. But here in these food laws, much of what God was doing was he was saying, you must make a distinction. There is a distinction. Please understand that there's a distinction between the clean and the unclean, between the, the pure and the impure, between the holy and the unholy. Please get that into the depths of your spirit and your being, that these things do not mix. And there's a problem when they come together. And there's consequences when they come together. And there's a separation and exclusion that, that must happen between these two things, the holy and the unholy. And I think, I don't know, for many of us, we haven't kind of grown up with this kind of, this kind of teaching um, in terms of what we eat and what we don't eat. And we can sometimes think that, it, because God is holy, and we can sometimes not understand the degree to which he's holy. And we can't see the problem with us, who are not holy, kind of coming into contact with God, who is holy. It just seems like, well, maybe there should be some compromise and some mixing. But as God, through this illustration, he was saying there absolutely cannot be a mix. There is a divide between these things. Jesus, of course, taught into this, didn't he, in Mark 7, and I think Matthew as well. Jesus taught this, not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. He was indicating it was a picture it was a teaching illustration. It's not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's what you say and what you do that makes you unclean. Let's read what he says in Mark 7. This is Jesus teaching on, on this. Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. So we have this kind of prefiguring of what, what Peter is still wrestling with and trying to understand here. What comes out of a person, Jesus says, is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, 
theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That's the reality. That is the reality. That as we do these things and say these things and act in this way, there is a defiling. We become unclean. And God is holy and perfect. And there there needs to be a separation. There must be a distinction between the holy and the unholy. And so therefore, there is a massive problem because God is holy. I mean, in the book of Revelation, there's worship around the throne. Holy, holy, holy. Again, three times. Once would be enough, but the extent of God's holiness is something that we don't understand. And even God's people, even though they went through this their whole lives, this food deal, this kind of clean, unclean deal, still they only got an an inkling of how holy God is, living in unapproachable light and how far we have fallen. There is a massive problem. There cannot be contact, fellowship between the clean and the unclean, the pure and the impure, the holy and the unholy. But wonderfully, here's where we can take some encouragement. Our verse has the solution. Uh, This verse that we've been looking at, what God has made clean, do not call impure. There's some words that leap out to me. Made clean. Made clean. What God has made clean. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're thinking, I am unclean. As as I read that list, I've done some of those things. I've thought some of those things. I've, I've been involved in some of those things. God can make the unclean clean. He can make the unholy, holy, and the impure, pure. This is what this verse is is, is telling me wonderfully. This is an encouragement to me. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I've I've messed up in so many ways. I've fallen so far short of God's perfect holiness, and I have no idea the extent to which he's holy. And I can say holy, 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 holy a million times. I have no comprehension of perfect holiness. But here's, I I know that I'm unholy. And here, this word, made clean. I want to tell me more about this being made clean, please, because I want to be made clean. Cornelius was a Gentile, and worse than that, he was a Gentile soldier. He was a Gentile soldier of the occupying Roman army, the hated Roman army. He he was a man, as far as many of the the Jewish people were concerned, that really it should be excluded from uh, God's, God's kindness, God's God's mercy. Here is a man who should be, uh, he, he, he deserves a justice like no one else. Here is a man who is unclean like nobody else. I mean, you, you think about it, I mean, uh, I think of, I quite like kind of Roman soldiers. I don't know why. I just um, always kind of been quite like Roman soldiers. But they, they, were, they were harsh in the extreme in their occupation of, of the countries they, they went into. I mean, they, they, they crucified people. They, 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 were, they kept, kept control in very harsh ways. And there was, there was God's people there that were, that were being occupied, that were being ruled over by the Romans, I guess with a certain amount of slack, but they were being ruled over. Here was the enemy. This, this was a, an unclean person, if ever they had come across one. But yet God is doing something special here. He's showing something to, to Peter. Something is, uh, is being declared here that we need to hear. Now, what, what is this? What is Cornelius' prayer? He, he prayed a lot but is one focus to his prayer. And it, it got me interested. I was thinking, what is he praying about? And so I'm, I'm looking for clues. And the clue is in the answer that comes to his prayer. As he prays, what, what is the answer to his prayer? As he prays to God, oh God, and he's praying something, what is the answer? The answer is, go and get Peter, and he'll come and tell you the answer 
to your prayer. That's basically what is going on. This man is praying continually, and his, his prayers have one focus, and the answer to that prayer is go and get Peter, and Peter will bring the answer to your prayer. It's actually a, and it's a spine-tingling moment for me, I don't know about you, that, um, where P- Peter's in Joppa. Do you, you remember where Jonah, uh, God called to Jonah hundreds of years ago, go and, go and bring a message to, uh, to Nineveh. Go and, go and bring a message that I've got for them. And do you remember what Jonah did? He ran away. <laughs> he, he went down to Joppa, in fact, to get a boat to somewhere else. He was, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But here, I just, I don't know, if it's, I'm sure it's not a coincidence. Here is Peter in, in Joppa, and he's called by this man, this, this Gentile, again, this non-Jew Cornelius, come and tell me the message that you have from God. Doesn't that show you God's heart for the nations? How he's orchestrating this. God's hand is all over this. He's thinking, oh, his angels here, angels there, vision here, vision there. He's, he's talking to Cornelius. He's talking to Peter. He's bringing, these, he's bringing this message. He's bringing these people together. It's it just a, a, a glorious thing that we have kind of before us unfolding in this passage. And here is what Peter brings. Here is the message that Peter brings. And from it, we can infer, I think, the details of Cornelius' prayer. Peter's message is a message about Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, so that in verse 43, the climax of Peter's message, here it is, the answer to Cornelius' prayer, verse 43, everyone who believes in him, that's in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. (laughs) It's just huge, isn't it? Everyone no matter what they've done, who they are, what their, their nationality is, what their ethnicity is, what their background is, their education, their, I mean, anything about them, what they've done, good or bad, everything, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins. I think it's pretty obvious to me anyway that Cornelius' prayer was, cleanse me for close relationship with you, oh God, please, I know that I'm not, I'm not worthy. And there's another centurion, I think, that came to Jesus kind of along these, these lines. These, often these, these people knew that they were not worthy of God in a practice in the sense the Jew, Jewish people had, had missed. But they, I'm not worthy. God, but I, I know I need cleansing. Please cleanse me. If there's a way, there must be a way. Please show me a way to cleanse me, save me, that I may know you and be with me. Forgive me for close fellowship with you. This is what my heart longs for. Yet I know there's a barrier. And he didn't have the food laws to even teach him. There's something, there's a work of God that's happening in this, this man's heart who feared God. Cleanse me. And Peter came and the gospel was the answer. That cleansing and purification and washing, this being made holy, this salvation, this forgiveness, comes not through what we do, but what we believe. Do you remember this and believing will lead to doing, but it's fundamentally by believing in Jesus. Because this centurion was a good guy, as far as I can see. He was very generous. He didn't have to, but he gave money away to the poor and those that needed it. He was God-fearing. He, he feared God, but he knew that wasn't enough. That is not enough. That's enough to know I've fallen short. I can never give enough that I would be acceptable to God. He knew there must be a way, and this was his prayer. And so he sent, the answer was, send for Peter, and he will declare to you, this is in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. And as Peter explained later in chapter 15, God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by 
faith, both Jew and Gentile, you and me and everyone that you know, is cleansed, is forgiven, is purified, not by what we do, but through faith in Jesus. I wonder if the band would like to come back. I want to lead us into breaking bread and uh, those of us that are, are believers, are followers of Jesus, or even, you, even you might, your heart might be being stirred right now, and even this message might be a response to your prayer, oh God, that there would be a way for me to be forgiven, for me to be cleansed, for me to be made, made pure, and to know you. Well, here's the answer. This is the answer. Everyone who believes in Jesus can find forgiveness of sins, and that includes you. And you might say, no, not me, because of what I've done includes you. No, surely not me. It includes you. Everybody else but not me. You. You. God wants you to know it, and he'll keep saying it for the rest of your life on this earth until one day, wonderfully, as he did for many here. We get it. Oh, for me. Wonderful for me. Wonderfully, God uh, then fills them with a spirit. Maybe we'll come to that in just a moment, but I want us to take the bread. If you're a believer in Jesus, just take this bread right now. You've got it in, in the, in, in, on your seats. And we're going we're gonna to let God minister to us his forgiveness, that his body was broken for us because he loved us. And he wanted us to kind of to keep doing this, to keep breaking this bread, to remind ourselves that we'd need reminding almost daily what he's done for us, the provision that he's made for us, that it's not what we do, but it's who we believe and what he has done. And Lord Jesus, we are, we are putting our trust in you and your body broken for us. And the, the purity that we can know through you, the forgiveness that we can know through you, the punishment through which we are forgiven fell on you. By your wounds we are healed. It was the Lord's will to crush you such that we could be brought into the family of God, brought so close. So let's take this, chew it, think about it, receive it, the goodness of God for you. If you're believing in Jesus, you're forgiven. That's the promise of God. We've been hearing about the promises of God, the promise of God to you. you put your faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, you're forgiven. Take the wine and the juice. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. It's his death on the cross by which we have cleansing. The heart cleansed from a guilty conscience. Maybe you've done things and you, that's what that weighs on you. You, you feel the evil of it. You, maybe things have been done to you and you just you feel the defilement of it. Maybe you've thought of things or seen things. And you know that there's a distinction between the holy and the unholy. And you... How is that divide crossed? How is that problem solved? And God has begun to feel distant to you. Why don't you trust in Jesus and his blood shed for you on the cross that you would be clean and pure and holy? You... Why don't we stand? There's one more thing that happens in this passage, and I, I want to pray it for us as Kev leads us into worship now in just a moment. As they heard this message about forgiveness of sins for everyone, 
They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Their, their cleansing, their holiness, their purity, God having made them clean through faith, was such that the very presence of God would come into them and reside into, in them and dwell in them. They became the very household and the dwelling place of God. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you've been cleansed by His blood. This is true of you. And now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, each one of us, with your Spirit. That your praise would bubble over in us, just as it did in them. As they discovered firsthand, as they believed, and then they discovered in their experience, God is, God is here. He's in, in me. Not at a distance anymore. I've been made clean, made holy, made pure. Not because of what I've done. I, I made myself impure by what I've done. But because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, I've been forgiven. And the Spirit of God comes and resides in you and dwells in you. And you hear his voice. You know his grace. And your spirit would cry with his spirit, Abba, Father, Father, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you fill us? Would you dwell in us, each one, right now, that we'd know we'd be sealed with your presence in us, knowing your love and your forgiveness. And then may we live that out. What a wonderfully secure place to begin to live differently with the very presence of God in us. As we worship now, let's ask God to fill us. Ask God to fill you. Thank you for his forgiveness. Thank him for his forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness. You'll say it again and again and again until we get it. Receive his forgiveness. Say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit that I may declare your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Let's worship him, shall we, and overflow with the wonderful love of God that's come to us in Jesus. Let's worship.